Hello and welcome to the Tightwad Teacher Podcast, brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementopie.com. And now, here are your hosts, John Mikulski and Brian Brueger. Hello everybody, welcome to the Tightwad Teacher, episode 24, Educational Technology and the Common Core Standards for December 20th, 2011. Uh, this is John Mikulski, your host, and joining me as always is Brian Brueger. Brian, how you doing? Oh, good day to you, my friend. I'm doing well. We're getting close now to Christmas, and you being down in Florida, I don't know, Do you have? is it as magical in Florida this time of year as it is upstate New York with the snow and the Christmas lights and the caroling? Does that kind of stuff happen down with you? I'm going to really upset you, because I'm going to tell you it is as magic as magic can be, because <laughs> when you get to wear long sleeves and jeans and not sweat, it's Absolutely a fantastic experience. <laughs> you haven't lived until you've stepped outside and like the boogers freeze inside of your nose. That is oh, what really. Oh, you came from Michigan. That's, that's, so you know. that's what I grew up with. Absolutely, but um, it's it's a far cry from that. Put it this way, soon you'll be seeing on my Twitter feed like campfire pictures and things like that because I finally feel justified in having a fire because. You can use it because it, you know, it might be down to forty or something like that in the evenings. You actually need it for warmth and not just because it's nice to sit in the backyard and look at. <laughs> That's right. You know, you can actually sit close enough to actually, you know, roast a marshmallow or a hot dog or something like that on the fire. Oh well, I guess I don't know, and I'll be outside shoveling. That's what I do in the winter time. So just make sure you tweet some pictures about that. How's that sound? Yeah, well, we can tweet back and forth. Although I have a feeling my snowman will be much better than yours. I don't know what you make a make a pot about down there. I'll make a sandcastle. You make there a snowman. Go. <laughs> Very good. So, well, before we get to our guest today, we were talking before the show started, and Brian, you were talking about how you just got done. Uh, doing something, and your arms... Oh, that sounds terrible. Your arms are kind of sore. <laughs> yeah. Well, um... Go ahead and fill us in quick before I say something else that sounds really bad. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't know, um, or at least our, our listeners don't necessarily know enough, unless you really looked me up online. I also drum in my spare time, and somewhere along the line, when you know word got out at the school that I was drumming and drum and things like that, so for our um, at our school our Hanukkah event, they've asked me to play drums. So, you know, now I've become the distraction for all the kindergarten through fifth graders because they don't want to pay attention to what's going on in the program. They want to watch me because it's like, whoa, there's never been drums in our school before. Right, and right. So it uh, it's it's rather exciting. So I literally ran from a uh, a practice um, and and I'm doing uh, the podcast. So it's been. An interesting day, to say the least. And it's funny because while you were playing drums, I think that's what our conversation at my school is about. We have coming up at the end of January, they're doing an entire week, and they're calling it Peace Week. And it's basically to celebrate things like diversity and friendship and and those kinds of more like big cultural aspects of school. And one of the things that the teachers were talking about doing was setting up a talent show. And I actually was talking to the chorus teacher. I'm friends with him. And we were talking today about it, and I said, wouldn't it be great if we had a bunch of teachers all get together and make like a, a super group, a teacher super group, and perform at this talent show? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I can play a couple of instruments. I know how to play guitar. And yes, I can play the accordion a little bit. Not that that would really be <laughs> relevant, I suppose. But I said, I could play a couple of things. And he said, well, I don't think we have any drummers in the building. Can you play drums? And I said, well, I can kind of play drums. So... I may have to uh, ask you for some pointers, Brian, when it comes <laughs> comes time for me to sit behind the set. 
I don't know. You said supergroup, and the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of supergroup is, you know, like dueling accordions. Yes. Oh, so yeah. I, I just don't see how you can do drums instead of accordion. The word super and the word accordion should never, never be in the same sentence together. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say should never be separated. <laughs> no, no, I wish. Years and years ago at our school, we had a group come in, and they were doing professional development. Like, we hired the gurus to come in and do some kind of big curriculum instruction with us and one of the trainers had been a teacher i want to say near dc maybe but i got to talking to him and it turned out that he uh, was a singer he played in a band and he told me he said well i actually in my old school we had a group of teachers who played you know they actually played out they played clubs and bars and things but they're all teachers at the school and i said oh what was your name thinking i could find them you know online somewhere and hear some music and he kind of smirked at me and they had the greatest name ever now keep in mind these were all teachers but his teacher supergroup band was called Staff Infection. Oh, that's And I, I thought that was so good. So I, I'm really tempted when it comes time for us to perform in our show, maybe that can be the name that we adopt. Very nice. Well, I think this uh, conversation is going downhill real fast. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what do you say we move on? <laughs> I think it started downhill because I'm pretty sure I threw like a weird sexual innuendo in there and we're probably going to get trouble with that, but. Yeah, so why don't we uh, take this time to totally shift gears and bring on our guest. Actually, it's a pretty heavy conversation today because it's something that any teacher should know about already because it's coming down the pike and it's coming fast. Um, but the Common Core Standards, it's a big thing right now. All of our workshops, all of our department meetings right now are focused on it because next year it really hits hard. And the one thing that I always think about with it, and we'll talk more when our guest comes on, but I I'm always wondering what things I'm doing now that I find to be successful, what of those will still be, quote-unquote, allowed? What will still be considered uh, good practices once the Common Core standards take sure. effect? So, And a lot of that that I do is educational technology-related things. And there, as far as I know, maybe I'm wrong because it's such a huge, huge document, but I don't think that there's any specific technology standards built into the Common Core. I think it's kind of integrated throughout all the other pieces. So I, I'm kind of curious today to see how all that fits together as we're kind of entering this new world, this new education world. So our guest for today is Susie Nestico, and she is a high school social studies teacher who actually has a lot of experience with the Common Core and what that's going to be doing to her classroom as well as everyone else's in the United States. So um, Susie is our guest today, and I'm looking forward to hearing what she has to say. Excellent. All right, so let's bring Susie on now. Joining us today is Susie Nestico from Mount Carmel, Pennsylvania. She is a high school social studies teacher at Mount Carmel Area School District. Um, Susie, how are you doing today? I'm great, thanks. Well, we're really excited to have you on, and it certainly sounds like you're quite the authority on the new Common Core uh, state standard, so we want to get into that in just a second. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, because I, I know just from your wiki and some of the stuff I've heard about you that my intro certainly did not do you justice. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do. Okay. Um, my name is Susie Nestico. I work for Mount Carmel Area High School. Um, which is a small town in northeast, north-central Pennsylvania. Um, I would say the population of our town is about 6,000 or a little over 6,000 people. And our school district is very small. Um, we're sort of rural, and our district 
holds um, just a junior senior high school, which goes from seventh through twelfth grade, and an elementary school. Our junior senior high school, including grade seven through twelve, probably houses about nine hundred and fifty students. Wow! So we're a small school. Um, Personally, I am a high school social studies teacher. I teach primarily twelfth grade. Um, principles of American democracy and government. And I teach uh, a new course actually that I developed this year that is mapped specifically to the Common Core called 21st Century Global Studies. Um, I'm one of Pennsylvania's Classrooms for the Future teachers, um, which was a grant passed years back through Governor Rendell, which enabled many, many Pennsylvania classrooms with laptop carts. So I was one of the fortunate teachers in my school to pursue and complete a master's degree in instructional technology and um, have since gone completely to laptops in my classroom. So we are not a one-on-one school. However, my classroom is a one-on-one environment, and we operate we operate as such. There's a lot of other things I can tell you, but I think that that gives you enough background. Other than I'm also currently in a second master's program um, for educational leadership, and one of my pet projects, I don't know necessarily that I'd consider myself an authority on Common Core, but one of my pet projects um, in conjunction with field experience for my master's work has been um, Common Core analysis and mapping our current district curriculum to Common Core, as well as rewriting curriculum. So I'm heading up a team in my own school um, that throughout the course of this entire school year is working to do that. Well, and I'm going to guess that a lot of our listeners right now who are teachers are probably doing something very similar because the Common Core is affecting everybody. And I know my school, especially, just like what you were saying, is spending a lot of time um, reworking things and rewriting uh curriculum and rewriting units so that it fits the new common core so and then on top of that i think with you having that background in the educational technology field it's going to be perfect for what we're talking about today because i think a lot of people are wondering what's going to be happening and how those two worlds are going to collide the new common core versus educational technology so that that's perfect for what we're talking about today um, so let's let's jump right into it for people who don't know because it's interesting especially being in a school People know that Common Core standards are coming, but then when you say to them, well, what does that mean? They go, well, they're new standards. They don't really know a whole lot about it yet. It's just kind of this thing that's happening. Um, So can you start for us? Give us a little recap uh, for our listeners who maybe aren't aware. What are the Common Core standards? What are they going to be doing for us? Um, Well, I'm sure that depending upon who you'd ask, you would get slightly different um, responses to that. My work with the Common Core standards and my understanding um, is is this. Obviously, approximately 44 states across the U.S. have recently adopted them, and right now they're serving as kind of a de facto national set of standards. Um, through No Child Left Behind and all of the work that was done with that, states were geared, especially state departments of education, were geared toward um, developing academic standards specific to their state. And one of the big differences is those those standards were very, very specific. But now when the government sat back and not even the government so much as the National Governors Association, um, which is the group that adopted the Common Core standards and have spread them throughout the country, their goal was to make the playing field more level across the United States because they still found major discrepancies from one state to another. So the way it looks right now most, well, not most, all public school districts 
with zero consideration to any extraneous factors um, that exist that may be challenges, uh, have to adopt the Common Core. Let me ask you a question. As far as assessments go, the assessments are still up to each state to come up with. Isn't that right? They are. See, that's the one part about the Common Core that I'm having a hard time, I'm struggling to understand, is all the standards will be the same, but the way that we measure those standards will be different. So is there going to be some room in there for there to be manipulation again? Um, if I were part of the Department of Ed in my state, I could answer that for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that was, and maybe that was a loaded question. Sorry for putting well, that Well, it's spot. not that it's loaded. It's not that it's loaded. It's, um, let me just clarify one thing. There are definitely, now I'm speaking from a Pennsylvania's perspective because those are the standards that I, I know. So I'm not necessarily speaking for every state. But there are some pretty significant differences between Common Core and what our state standards are. Now, while a lot of our state standards map to the Common Core, we actually have a lot more more standards than what right. exists with the Common Core. As far as assessment, and I, I'm going to be completely honest, I think for the most part, and I, when I'm referencing Common Core standards, I'm going to speak to the ELA standards or the English Language Arts standards, mm-hmm. which house the social studies standards because I'm not a math person, although I've done some, some curriculum development in that area with that department. But when I look at Common Core, I think that there are a lot of great, fantastic things in there. Okay, One of the biggest pushbacks you get from teachers is, oh, another curriculum fad. It'll change again in five years. Why are we bothering to do this? If you really drill down in the standards, there are some fantastic things there. But the problem with all of this, with this whole entire effort, and, and I'll remain firm in this, is going to be the assessment of and it, it's not that I, you know, I wish I had the answer or the plan, but the reality is that the, the government doesn't. And the government isn't part of our classrooms every day. They don't have a sense of agency in this, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I can't answer the assessment question. I think that's what has the potential to screw this up, so to speak. I've heard a rumor, and I don't know how true it is, but I've heard rumor that a lot of the Common Core were based on uh, largely California and New York State's standards. And me being in New York State, I look through the standards, and there are a lot of similarities. I know when I sat down at my department and we were looking at them over and over again, we kept saying, well, we already do this, or we already have this standard. So you're right. Like when you said a lot of it, you're already doing. And you're also correct. What I've seen, same as you, is that some of the standards that we're reaching now, it almost seems like they've come down a little bit so that we have that common core standard. But then again, you hear stories about other states, no offense, Brian, particularly down south, where <laughs> supposedly standards are, are less. So I'm, I'm curious to see kind of what that leveling out is going to do across the country. And largely, that's going to depend on what that assessment looks like. Agreed. Agreed. No. And that's everyone is in, a, is in a hold pattern with regard to that. Um, even here in Pennsylvania, they've pushed off some of the field testing for the new assessments. So because of budget, budgetary concerns and everything else, that keeps getting pushed back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess our faculty here has taken the standpoint of, well, we're not going to say, oh, phew, okay, we have another year, so we can push that off till later. We've kind of taken a more aggressive approach in, well, that's okay, because if you really drill down on Common Core, Common Core is really about good teaching. Because we have dumped down our student population for so long now, There's no child left behind. Um, Mm -hmm. That maybe if we start this now, this will take us back in the direction of teaching kids again, you know, how to think, not how to answer the questions on the test. So, Now, in your opinion, 
how will the Common Core affect the actual teachers and lessons in the classroom? Um, I think I just started hitting on that and saying that it can take us back to better teaching, better teaching mm-hmm. practice. Um, it, it One benefit I see for teachers is it gives a more general um, demarcation line, like a, a better bench line of, okay, what should students be able to do when they leave our school? And, you know, one of the other trademarks of Common Core is that you're not just college, but career ready. Um, and this isn't the right question, but I could easily tell you classroom anecdotes about that, about the student who forever says, well, I'm not going to college. I don't need to know this. Right. Or I don't I don't need to know how to do this. Um, I've been put in some pretty interesting situations regarding this and and really have been persistent, but have gotten through to the kids that know that's not what this is about. But uh, I, I think I think that really, like I said before, if you drill down into the standards and you really understand what's being said, and as a teacher, you don't take it too literally. You need to stop looking at this from the perspective of, um, okay, what are what are all the standards I need to cover in this marking period and that it's just a checklist? Um, because it's not a checklist anymore. It's, it's things that it's much more integrated and things that go hand in hand. And I don't necessarily know that it's something that you're going to always be hitting everyone. But it's just for, for teachers, again, I have to stick with it's going back to good teaching. Because it's, it's more about teaching kids how to understand instead of how to take a test. The other benefit for teachers is if we start doing this with kids earlier on, we track this back to elementary school and kids are prepared for this, um, to prepare to learn this way. Because it's kind of like we have to teach kids how to unlearn and relearn again uh, because they're used to something different. There's a lot of, I have a lot of teachers that complain about pushback in the classroom. You know, kids don't want to learn in an inquiry-like fashion. They want the notes and then give them the test. Well, we've conditioned them to do that. You know, just like we can condition them to learn in this manner as well. And I think that teaching as a profession overall will be much more beneficial uh, and be much more rewarding. You know, when I have students sitting in front of me that are learning the way that is, number one, most interesting to them, but in a way that I I want them to learn instead of, instead of, you know, it seems so much today that we go through the motions, you know, we checklist the standards, we covered it. Hey, if they didn't get it, oh, well. Oh, absolutely. You know, we coach them to do good on the test and they did fine and okay, everything's great. Move on to the next year. Where's the next batch? Mm-hmm. You know, I would be interested to pull in like a higher education professor into this conversation because part of the common core is, like you said, it kind of levels the playing field and it makes education in America more equitable because in theory, a high school senior from Oklahoma is going to have those same basic skills as one coming from your hometown in Pennsylvania. So I'm curious to see at the higher level uh, of education in America what that would be doing there because I hear stories all the time from professors who have college freshmen who come in and say, these kids don't even know how to write or they don't know how to read and they have all these huge skill gaps. I mean, we see skill gaps every year when kids come from different teachers below us or from different schools that maybe funnel into a a larger school in the district or whatever the case may be. And that's even expounded even more when it's a higher ed. And in theory, the Common Core would get rid of some of that, wouldn't it? Um, In theory, it absolutely would. And I've actually, I don't have the resource right in front of me right now, but I've read studies where they did have higher level um, collegiate professors analyzing Common Core. And one of the interesting findings that they did come up with was, um, you know, if you look at the English Common Core, there are two. There are 
as far as reading, there's reading informational text and there's reading literature. And the reading informational text was actually the topic that the professors hit on the most as they saw, excuse me, would be most beneficial um, because they didn't see, while reading literature helps to understand, they didn't see that as important as a student's ability to, you know, read instructions, follow directions and read, you know, higher level textbook like work that has a higher Lexile score. Mm -hmm. And that was the biggest benefit that college professors saw. So I, I do think that this will help, you know, bridge some of that, the gap between high school and college, um, because there's such different, different styles and types of learning. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. One of the things that my principal at my school always talks about is equity between the classrooms. We have three different teams at each grade level. And she always, at the start of the year, uses the example of a parent who has triplets and each kid is in a different team. That education should look more or less the same, regardless of whose classroom they're in. And we're really encouraged to do a lot of um, department planning and common assessments and common units. And I think that the Common Core is just kind of an extension of that philosophy that everyone should be getting that same education, regardless of things like socioeconomic status and region and and those kinds of things. Now, granted, you can't just pretend those don't exist. I think that's something that the Common Core hasn't really figured out how to address yet. But at least having that ideology is the right step uh, in the right direction. Absolutely. And, And you just hit on another really good point, John, that I was making notes here about is that while Common Core does serve to level the playing field, in theory, really, there are pieces missing. Like, it does not account for diversity. It does not account for socioeconomic status. It does not account for, you know, what learning looks like in my classroom in a rural area versus another classroom um, down in Philadelphia. Right. They're two completely different things. It certainly doesn't take into consideration the fact that half of the schools in America right now don't have any money either. <laughs> it takes a lot of money oh. to uh, it takes a lot of details, money to take details. something like this and implement it too. Um, absolutely, and th- that's that's my downfall to the Common Core is that this could prob- probably come at the worst possible time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, all over we've seen staff cuts, we see the, the union bashing and things like that. So for teachers, everyone is already tapped out. Everyone's day is full. There's no time. That's the biggest piece missing here. Most schools do not have the resources or the time to facilitate collaborative planning among teachers. Mm-mm. And that's what you need. Like if you're going to start going cross-curricular and you're really going to be more of an integrated curriculum and you're also going to assure that, you know, what learning like in John Mikulski's classroom looks the same as, um, you know, Susie Nesco down the hall. Right. You can't. I mean, it's not even money. It's not even money anymore. It's time. Somebody just said that to me last week. Could could we um, you know, what could we pay you to do this? I'm like, no, you don't understand. (laughs) You could offer me a stipend of, you know, five or ten thousand dollars. It's not it's not going to buy me time. And right now, that's the biggest the, the biggest thing I think facing teachers anywhere. Oh, absolutely. Well, and even just the sheer size of it. I'm actually looking right now. I pulled it out for the for our conversation today. My common core for English language arts 6 through 12, and I have two documents, and both of them are over 70 pages long. So just the time that goes to sift through some of that and make sense of even just the way it's organized and laid out, people don't even have that. Right. Well, let me me tell you something. Um, That in and of itself is daunting, but um, 
this is we, we I'm sure at some point we're getting to technology and mm-hmm. there's two stints that I was going to take with that one being how do I use technology in the classroom to facilitate more collaborative common core type stuff mm-hmm. and then the other was what kind of technology tools are available for teachers um, that can make common core life a little bit easier and there are a number of websites and organizations out there that offer different things and obviously some of them are selling products because there will be those that capitalize on this is a niche market <laughs> for another educational tool or product. <laughs> right. And let's not even get into that in this conversation. However, since you mentioned that, John, have you seen the app? Um, there, there is a website called Mastery Connect that okay. has a Common Core app that you can download. And those 70 pages of ELA standards will take a completely different form in this app. Oh, I got to look. Actually, I'm going to have to look that up now. I'm, I'm playing with my iPad and trying to talk at the same time. <laughs> well, seriously, search in your iPad because I have it on my iPad, my phone. Um, search for Mastery Connect. And if you download, they have a free. Now, they have multi, multiple um, apps. There's, there's an assessment app, too, where teachers all across the country are kind of entering um they actually offer contests like they give away a free ipad for every so many common assessments you put into their system because they're looking for a way to do that but the the common core app has been invaluable to me of mastery connects because it was just one or two clicks i can get right to my grade level and ela standard that i need to get to Thanks to you, Susie, my iPad just became a little bit geekier because I'm looking through standards right now on it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay, well, so, so much more convenient. That's I was cool. going to say, while, while John is distracted, <laughs> I'll slip in and ask. Um, you started to allude to technology, and one of the things that intrigued me you know, just when you were introducing yourself was you talking about being a one-to-one classroom environment but not school environment, and... So my question is, is how does educational technology play a part in Common Core? Um, are there specific technology standards or is it just, you know, integrated into the other, you know, core curriculum areas? Um, it's completely and wholly integrated into the other core curriculum areas because uh, when you look at the sets of Common Core standards, there are two. That's it. There are two. There's math and there's English language arts. So anything that is not math and science falls under English language arts. Um, and technology, it, yeah, so technology doesn't have its own set. But one of the things when we did our analysis and even in looking at state standards, our state technology standards are a little bit more specific, but they're archaic. Um, they're not NETS-oriented, so to speak. When, when you look in here, there are specific directives as far as utilize technology or utilize online spaces or publish to the web. There, there's language like that, um, especially in the ELA writing standards, and that goes across every curriculum area. I think that, that honestly, it, there will be a lot of companies out there trying to sell a tool about, you know, this is great for Common Core because that happens to be a buzzword. But I think just access to the Internet, period. And I say access because this mm-hmm. is something I think schools need to look at. A lot of schools, um, not mine, I, I've been fortunate, but a lot of public schools in particular in the state of Pennsylvania are still very much locked down. You can't get mm-hmm. to a lot of places. You can't get to a lot of sites because um, they cry SEPA, which mm-hmm. that's yep. a whole nother argument that I, I beat that down the door <laughs> on that. And I, I 
one in my school. And we've been very, very fortunate to have pretty much, with the exception of Facebook and obvious, obvious things that kids should not have the ability to access. Sure. 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 We're an open environment. But as far as um, having a one-to-one classroom, so to speak, everything that we do is online. I mean, it, it's really not that difficult. And it's as simple as saying, you know, you take the traditional book report, you turn that into a blog post. You, you take the typical group project where you put two or three kids together in a classroom and, well, you have technology now, which opens a whole bunch of doors. So now, instead of them being grouped with three students in their own class, well, you make them in a group with, you know, one student from New York, one student from Florida, one student from Beijing, one student from somewhere in Canada. And that's the group. You know, and technology is just the tool. It's the medium. But that's where the collaboration comes in. It's where the reflection comes in. And I think the biggest... My experience in the classroom, because I've done this for several years now, the biggest benefit, um, and a teacher won't see it until they do it and they go through it for themselves because it's challenging, but giving students an authentic audience will step up their game more than you can imagine. And a Mm -hmm. lot of times it it won't do it at first. Students will fail. They don't take you serious. Nobody's going to read what I write out there. Yeah. Well, if you have a connected teacher, oh yes, they are. <laughs> the minute, the minute, you know, not that I put that, not I'm not saying I put students out there um, in a way that they're going to be, you know, talked to negatively or cut down or anything like that. But I encourage students to to screw up and make the mistake because somebody will, in a way, call them on it. And the next time that student performs in a similar situation, I've seen amazing things happen. You know, ability levels that I didn't even know existed within the student. Sure. So, and I do work in a low SES, socioeconomic status area. You know, like being rural, my kids don't have a lot of access to to more advantageous things, or um, there isn't a lot of cultural diversity here. So, it's important that they have that. They have sure. that audience. Makes it real. Sure. You made sense to me with what you were saying because initially when I was looking through the Common Core, I was surprised and actually felt a little put out that there wasn't specific technology standards because that's something that I integrate so often into my classroom. But you're right. like It's just a tool. And actually, you mentioned how the old standards were kind of almost archaic. And I think that's a good way to put it because now technology is just so ubiquitous everywhere. I mean, I always use the example, like you can't go and get your hair cut without seeing the like us on Facebook QR code on the window. So the idea that technology is just, it should be seamlessly integrated into every standard. That makes sense. You're right. That's a lot more modern way to look at it. And that really makes those common core more relevant. Sure. In in light of the past few weeks and Twitter, which we talk about all the time, I'm inclined to say, um, you know, are there any pencil Common Core standards? And <laughs> oh, that pencil. No. <laughs> Were you watching that Pencil Chat on there, Susie? I did watch Pencil Chat. As a matter of fact, Pencil Chat started to heat up like two weekends ago when I was I was in D.C. at NCSS, um, the National Conference for Social Studies, and Pencil Chat was heating up then, and that was like the topic, the hot elevator conversation was everyone was. <laughs> did you see that one? And did you see what they said about this? So yeah, we we um. We enjoyed watching Pencil Chat fly by. Absolutely. So, Well, uh, moving on, I think we kind of answered this question already, but maybe we can bring it up just for some more discussion. Because the standards are fairly specific, I think, there's a lot of them anyway, is that going to make it more difficult to integrate technology, or is it going to provide more opportunities? There's a lot of teachers still who 
kind of push back when it comes to integrating things into their classroom because either it's too hard or they don't know how or the learning curve or whatever excuse they come up with. Are those excuses still going to be there or do the Common Core make it easier to, to get around those? Hmm. I, see, I, I don't think so. I When I, now again... We're all pre- I, uh, we're preaching to the choir here, so <laughs> that's a hard <laughs> question to answer. Yeah, it's it, I'm one of those teachers too that like if you told me you were going to take my tech away, I would freak out. Like I don't know if I would know how to teach. Oh, exactly. And a lot of a lot of people will argue and say, "Well, yeah, but technology is just a tool. It's not you can teach other ways." Well, that's true, and I have taught in other ways um, until technology came into my hands. But there's just such a fundamental change and, and shift in what happens that it, it would be very, very hard for me to do. But even that said, it's still the teaching and the learning is not about the technology. It's just the platform that facilitates it. You know, it's just, again, going back to it, it's just one of the tools. As far as specificity of the standards, now, this is my experience, and again, I'm I'm hedging this against Pennsylvania academic standards, but in our state, PA academic standards are actually much more specific than Common Core mm-hmm. is. Um, to me, Common Core is, is actually broader. It's more overarching. Um, and I think because of that, it gives you a lot more flexibility to be creative. I've heard some some people complain that there are some specifics, uh, you know, but it's important to keep in mind that like Common Core only makes, at least on the ELA side, they make suggestions. Um, I know I've heard people complain before and say, what eighth grader can read Grapes of Wrath? Well, right. hey, that's just a suggestion. It does. Nowhere does it say, okay, students must be reading this, 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 and this. And, I mean, if you know, I don't know how much you know about reading or, or detailed Lexile scores and things like that, but the, there's different tools for teachers to utilize, too, that I can just take, go find the Lexile score of Grapes of Wrath. I can put the score in and find a whole list of, mm-hmm. of other books and novels that would apply. And what I would do is I would look for something that would be more meaningful to my students, What's more relevant or meaningful in their lives as I know their lives to be here in our town and our environment. And then the other piece of that, too, is you have those conspiracy theorists who see, <laughs> see Grapes of Wrath written there, and it's just a suggestion, but they're reading like the imaginary air quotes around suggestion, and they see it as, well, that's what the assessments are going to be geared toward, or there's going to be supplemental you know, informational texts that go along with Grapes of Wrath, and I have to read that. So there's like that whole other piece to the Common Core, in addition to what it really is, it's what people are reading it as. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's one of the big problems, I think, what people are reading it as. And just going back to what we said before, there's this is all speculation. We don't know what the assessments are going to look like. Right. Um, you know, and it just makes me think of, I don't know, I, I'm a high school teacher, but I'm a big Dr. Seuss fan. And one of my favorite Dr. Seuss books, I don't know if you're familiar with it, is is called Hooray for Diff and Do for Day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounds funny. Um, but, you know, it's a story about a school who who's basically told that, the kids are told that if they don't pass this big test that's coming, that they're going to close their little, small, wonderful school that's kind of, crazy and offbeat and they're going to send them to flobber town which is the miserable town next door and um the kids never learned you know obviously they're hedging around what um 
you know, the other schools being prepared for the test and this school not being. But in the end of the story, the school comes out with flying colors, you know, and the teacher says to them, I actually just used this quote in, in a piece of graduate work I just did. And the teacher said, to them coincidentally her name is miss bonkers if that tells you anything about the school she said don't don't fret she said you've learned the things you need to pass that test and many more i'm certain that you'll succeed we've taught you that the earth is round that red and white make pink and something else that matters more we've taught you how to think mm -hmm. um and i come back to that all the time because while i don't have a huge you know database uh, of evidence um, behind me, I'm still willing to go out on a limb and say that if we can get back to good teaching and we can get back to teaching kids how to think, how to be independent learners and questioners, that the, the responses on the test will come. You know, there, there is an uh, here's how we're going to prep you to take it. Well, and I have an example. It's not quite as endearing as Dr. Seuss, but um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big Simpsons fan. And about a year and a half ago, the Simpsons did an episode about high-stakes testing coming to Springfield. And um, it showed all the kids, Bart and Lisa and all the other classmates, and they were preparing for the state multiple-choice high-stakes test. And they had the teacher up on the board um, giving them the different sequences of letters so they were memorizing you know a a b c b c c c and so on <laughs> trying to prepare them for the test and i thought what an excellent commentary that was on just the state of education and the idea of high stakes testing and federal incentives and all those things so it's kind of the, the same idea you're talking about now the common core should be getting rid of some of those right in theory yes <laughs> yes we hope <laughs> well well, again, going back to my own experience in my own state, um, you know, we've had some pilot testing of what we're they're calling now here in Pennsylvania. Formerly, our standardized tests are the PSSAs, the Pennsylvania State Something Assessment, um, and now they're going to be called the Keystone Assessments. And, I mean, what very much like what you have in New York Regents, are they all being rewritten now? I think, yes, uh, the Regents. Yeah, everything is being written, um, rewritten. We actually have state testing from grades four through eight every year. In um, this year, it's ELA and math. Uh, they just got rid of the social studies one, but those get rewritten constantly. And then, yeah, the regions are constantly getting changed as well in the high school. Well, I, and what I was going to say, um, just going back to your question, was I, I, I can give you an example um, with some of my own students in class. You know, I mentioned before that I wrote the 21st century global studies curriculum strictly based off of Common Core. And like my students are, I've taught them and they've learned how to, you know, they're look, they look at the Common Core standard that we're working through every single day. Like that's their learning target for the day. It's the first thing they see on their class assignment blog. Um, but in the beginning of the year, we had a discussion about what Common Core is because not all teachers know, let alone students, you know. And we talked about some of the keystones that the students I have in class piloted last year in science and in biology. And, you know, I had the two students arguing and, and one said, one said, um, oh, they were so hard. And, and everybody chimed in and said, oh, they were awful. It was just so hard to do the Keystone exams. They're different from the PSSAs. I said, well, what made them so hard? Oh, you had to write. You had to explain. <laughs> okay, well, that's not so bad because it gives you more freedom to get a right answer versus you, have, you can pick one. A, B, C, or D. So then the one female student said, but no, you guys didn't prepare us for them. We weren't prepared. And I said, okay, so then you mean to tell me, Jane, <clears throat> that if I gave you a stack of note cards with um, 
all notes and specifics about, um, you know, how the, the sun's energy works and, um, you know, the process of photosynthesis and you, you memorized every stage and every step. So when you go to take the keystone, then if I would have given you all that, would you have felt better prepared to be able to explain to me why a plant is green? Right, right. And she said, uh, well, I guess not. I said, right, because you can't study for this. You have to know. And the way you know is by doing things, you know, and really putting yourself into them, not doing the worksheet to turn in for homework, not um, having a teacher tell you, okay, well, they're going to ask about, you know, scatter plots or box box and whisker plots on the test. So let's learn how to do that today. No, you have to apply it in real life. Right. It's learning to think, like you said earlier. Yeah, that's a transitional shift in society not just in education. Absolutely. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, easier said than done. <laughs> well, Susie, we're, we're starting to wrap up here. Um, I have one final question for you before we let you go. And this is, again, something that I guess I'm bringing down from what I hear in my building and from other teachers all over the, the country right now. Is this just another thing? In a few years, will we have you back on where we're now talking about the next big initiative or do you think in your opinion are the common core kind of here to stay is this going to be the actual benchmark for what we are going to be doing for the next 10 15 years well um, again <laughs> in speculation. Wow. That's, that's a hard yeah it's a hard question yeah. but as as in, the authority here because god knows me and brian brian and myself we are not the authority on much of anything so you're going to take that role <laughs> okay and brian and john need to stop referring to Susie as the authority because <laughs> It's not the case, but I will, I will take a stab at that answer. And I will say that I can't necessarily say that Common Core itself will be, oh, the next big thing for 10 or 15 years. I think that how teachers really need to look at this and approach this is that there are some good things about Common Core when you look at the standards, that if you could kind of take what you need from them and leave the rest behind, um, it will take us back to a better place of teaching for, for real learning versus just student achievement. Now that said, again, the assessment piece is still in limbo and we don't know what that's going to do. So when I approach this, like with our teachers at school and we talk about it, I use common core to go back to good teaching. Whether Common Core is going to be here in five years or 10 years, when I read through and drill down and I use, I'm using a lot of the ELA standards on a regular basis, it, I know my kids are learning more. And you know what? I may not have a job someday because maybe my kids won't perform quite as well as the kid who was coached to perform the way they did on the test. Or maybe, you know, my school won't cheat like some other schools have done because that's what happens in high pressured situations. All I know is I can stay focused on the good teaching practices that I can get out of them. Sure. No, that, that's kind of a good place to end. Um, with that optimism, and you're right, it's putting the kids first, and that's the bottom line for everything we should be doing in our classroom. Well, and even if Common Core goes away, I will have taken what was beneficial from it mm-hmm. yep. and be able to move on from there. But I think this is a bit much better place than where the state standards and, and No Child Left Behind put us. Now, as we wrap up, where can our listeners go to find out more information on Common Core and and get some resources for, you know, taking that next step in their understanding? One that I mentioned before, Mastery Connect, has a lot of great resources for teachers. 
and it is not um, park driven or ASCD driven. Um, so you're not. It's it's and it's participatory. It's collaborative. They have an online community there for teachers. Um, I think that's a great place to start. And the other one that I have done some of their webinars and I have, but you have to be a little bit careful. Um, Curriculum 21 is another one. Heidi Hayes Jacob Jacobs is heavily involved with that as well. Those are the two that I use the most. Well, Susie, thank you so much for taking the time and, and talking with us. I really do think that we hit some of the, the big points that I hear a lot of teachers asking about Common Core, just how it's going to affect their daily teaching. So thank you for sharing your experience and your knowledge with us. And uh, we'll have to keep in touch and see in those few years, maybe uh, we can get back in touch and talk about how much better the Common Core has become. <laughs> We're going to use a different word there. Yeah, the future is yet to be told, isn't it? <laughs> Susie, thank you again for, uh, for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay, so that was Susie Nestico, and her optimism is really what caught me during that whole thing, because so many teachers come into this with such a pessimistic op- attitude uh, with new Common Core standards and, and new ways of doing things. People hate being told to change what they're doing, and sure. uh, Susie, I think, really summed up nicely why that isn't the case, why this is more effective, and, and this is something that teachers should be embracing as, as opposed to trying to avoid or ignore. The, the thing that got me the most was just the idea of, you know, take the best out of it, use it, and ultimately make your kids better. Ignore the fact that there's, you know, standardized testing that's going to be applied to it and all these other details. You know, if you can sleep at night because you did, you know, a service for your students, then, you know, make the best of it and move forward with that. I didn't talk about this with Susie, but I have a prediction. This is my my prediction because I mentioned purposely I wanted to see what you talk about when it came down to the actual assessments. But this is my prediction. I'm thinking that down the line after the Common Core is set, the natural progression here is going to be a common federal assessment that everybody will take because now that's going to take that one extra little loophole out. And I think that's going to be another big game changer too because essentially what that will be is more or less a, an SAT at every grade level every year that they'll all be taking. And uh, aside from the logistical nightmare that that's bound to be, I think that that could actually be a good thing, depending on, again, how it's used and, and how it's administered. But that's my guess where this is going. I, I could see that being a possibility. Um, I think for, for time's sake, we'll avoid the merits of good or bad. Oh, man. <laughs> but I can, I can definitely um, I can see that being a a logical next step, you know, as we move forward. And it's all about attitude and trying to determine, you know, you know, do we think it's good? Do we think it's not good? Well, ultimately, you know, as teachers, we're the masters of our own domain, if you will, or, you know, the space within our four walls there. And we're charged with doing the best and what's right for our students. Right. And if you take that attitude, you know, as she was doing, It'll be okay. <laughs> like you mentioned, there's so much more to this conversation that maybe we can touch on in another episode, but I think this has served as a pretty good overview of what Common Core is for teachers, again, that are kind of in the same situation I am. They know that it's coming, but they're not totally sure what it's going to look like, and I think Susie did a really nice job of helping enlighten us a little bit on that. I was going to say one more time, real quick, before people... Um, 
if you're really interested in looking up um, some of those resources that Susie mentioned, uh, Mastery Connect or Curriculum 21, um, be sure to check out the show notes because we'll have those in there so you guys can link directly to them. Um, to kind of further your conversation, if you will. Yeah, and I'll also make sure I put down a, a link for that app that she was talking about because I really truly did download it while she was talking. And it, <laughs> it, it's nice. You would. It's just quick and simple, and it has all the standards listed um, for math and language arts, and you can go through by grade level and pull it out. It's a nice resource, especially like I'm thinking. I actually even while she was talking, I emailed it real quick to my assistant principal because I know he has an iPhone now. And he's been looking for apps and things that he can use in school with him. And what a great one to have just on hand as he's working with teachers or he's even doing observations or whatever the case, um, to have that literally in your pocket. So great. Yeah. Uh, so she kind of actually she stole my teacher tip of the week because I have another iPad app that I was going to share. And I think hers is actually better than mine. But oh, well, <laughs> wow. I was going to say that's three iPad apps you have. You have the, the typewriter app. And now these two apps here. I know, I know. You're, so you're getting there. <laughs> why don't we Why don't we jump into the tips of the week? I will save mine for last. Why don't we start with your tech tip today, Brian? A lot of times when it comes when it comes time to to think of a tech tech tip and and whatnot, I struggle between what I consider a tech tip in terms of my proficiency versus the the tech tips and proficiency of of perhaps our listeners and you know not knowing what level each person's at. So if you want to give feedback to us on, you know, if we think our tech tips are you know too advanced or not advanced enough or something like that, we'd love to hear it. But today's tech tip is going to be more on the entry level. And what actually prompted it is, once again, having teachers come to my office and me work with them. And something simple like keyboard shortcut keys seems to always come up and every time I mention it as many times as I've sent the information to our teachers I always get well I didn't know you could do that right <laughs> and you know I call them the like the little tricks that make us look smart but really they're they're nothing fancy and um, so we have a a website for you it's called computerhope.com and the specific address is computerhope.com slash shortcut and um on this website, when you when you visit it, you will see um, computer shortcut keys, and they've got a bunch of shortcut keys right there on that page. But there's also shortcut keys for Linux users and for Apple users, and you know, Excel and Word and Internet Explorer, and you know, a bunch of different programs and things. And essentially, those shortcut keys, um, you know, to me, the most common ones I use are for cut, copy, and paste. I consider myself a two-handed driver when it comes to using the computer. One hand is on the mouse, and my other hand is on the keyboard. And so I'm always using those shortcut keys, and hopefully those will help um, the proficiency and the speed at which our listeners operate on the computer on a daily basis. Yeah, good tip. Uh, it does make you more efficient, but also it makes you look really, really cool, and you can make a bunch of stuff happen on the screen without touching the mouse. <laughs> That's right. It cool counts. Exactly, exactly. Um, and my teacher tip of the week is actually a new iPad app. It just came out, and it's certainly not unique by any means, but it's another option, and it's always good to know what those options are. The app is called EduCreations. And it is an essential, essentially it's a whiteboard app for the iPad, very similar to, uh, there's a bunch of them. The big one is called Show Me. And actually, our loyal listeners will maybe remember that we had 
um, Kika Gilbert, who's a community manager from the Show Me app a couple episodes ago. Um, but it's similar to that one. There's one called Screen Chomp that also does something similar. Um, but essentially what it allows you to do is take videos of you writing on the iPad as if it were a whiteboard. So this is very similar to um, the Khan Academy videos that you see or the tutorials and that kind of thing. And, and it's just another nice one to have in your arsenal because for the most part it does the same thing as the Show Me app or the Screen Chomp app. The one thing that it does have that I haven't seen before in these types of apps is it has the option to have multiple slides. So as you're recording, what you can actually do is before you press that record button, you can actually prepare each slide to some extent. Either insert a photo onto it from your photo reel or um, re, you know, write out directions or write out, say, a math equation beforehand. And then when you hit record, you can go through almost as if you're doing like a makeshift PowerPoint or slideshow that you can mm-hmm. then write on and record. So it's just a neat little extra feature. With that said, it also has things that it's missing that other apps like the Show Me app has that this one doesn't. So it, it's nice to have on the iPad. However, I wouldn't delete the other ones in place of it. Uh, it's just <laughs> a nice thing to have in your arsenal. So that is sure. the edu creations app and i believe it's just educreations.com is where you can uh find it and also find out more information and see some samples that people have already done excellent good tip so um let's move on to the contact portion which is actually going to be a little different this week isn't that correct yes it's going to be fantastic in fact it was just over did you miss it yeah i know it's going to be quick this time <laughs> you know we like to to tease about doing the contact and stuff us stuff and you know it taking a while and everything so what we've done in and uh big thanks to uh, mark cockrell our our fearless leader um, behind the scenes our podcast guru i think every time we say his <laughs> name we need to come up with a new title for him Yes, <laughs> the um, and he he helped uh, modify the Element OP Tightwad Teacher page, so a lot of our contact information can be found there. So if we just simply um, if you simply go over to elementop.com and click on Tightwad Teacher, you will see all kinds of contact information, um, links to our Facebook page and to the Twitter stream for both John and I our phone number, and all the details. So really, the contact information boils down um, to elementop.com and click on Tightwad Teacher and drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. Yep, and there's also now the option, if you want to go direct to our page, I believe it is now elementop.com slash Tightwad Teacher. It's a little bit quicker way to get there if you want to plug that into your browser and then save it in your favorites or whatever, which I, of course, totally recommend you do. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I guess that about wraps it up for this week. Um, before we sign off, I just want to say next week, we're really looking forward. We have a great guest on as well, um, who actually I believe is also friends with Susie today. But we have Vicki Davis next week, who uh, many of you probably know Vicki as the cool cat teacher. She is all over. Um, she does a lot of fantastic things. She has some really great projects and tons of great resources. So she will be sharing some of those with us next week. So be sure to tune in. And if you haven't, obviously subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, prepare yourself for another fantastic podcast next week. Excellent. All right. Well, for now, this is John signing off. And Brian signing off. <laughs> <laughs>